Hey everyone, it's Rachel. Unfortunately, we experienced some audio technical issues in the episode that we had planned to release this week. So we are actually going to play a rerun of one of our most popular episodes that we know you all really loved. Insert frustrated, crying, screaming tears here as I re-record the episode we intended for this week for the hundredth time. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the rerun. Thank you all so much, as always, for your support. And we will be back next week with the brand new episode. Enjoy. This is Hashtag History, episode 94. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And I'm doing something with this episode that I've never done before. I'm so excited. As you all know, nearly 100 episodes later, yeah. I always choose a focused topic. We, you know, we may go off on some tangents while we're discussing said topic, but there's always a narrow focused topic, yes, right? Totally. Well, this week, there is so much to discuss that we actually sort of have multiple topics. Yeah. Think of it similar to, Leah, your uh, Elizabeth Bathory episode or your Van Buren sisters that we just did, mm-hmm. uh, where we wove through a number of topics and people. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we are discussing hidden presidential illnesses. I think we all know now that Franklin D. Roosevelt had polio, but... Most people didn't learn this until after he passed. In fact, most people had no idea during his lifetime that he was paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah. Or I think we all know now about the many health issues that John F. Kennedy faced. Mm -hmm. But most people, again, during his lifetime did not. Moreover, many people did not know that these severe health issues that he had would cause him to have a heavy addiction to painkillers and anti-anxiety medications. What? Our president? (laughs) (laughs) For us, it's like, uh uh-huh, and. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But another one of these fascinating stories, it wouldn't be until after the death of Grover Cleveland that the nation would learn that while he was president, he had undergone an undercover surgical operation conducted on a private yacht to remove a cancerous tumor. That sounds more dangerous than it needs to be. It's it's pretty dangerous. Because of the pedestal that American presidents are placed upon, oftentimes these very human illnesses and diseases are hidden from the general public. But they matter. Presidential illnesses can truly change the course of history. In fact, some historians believe that because of Woodrow Wilson's series of strokes, many of which he kept hidden for a long period of time, he was unable to fight harder for the United States to join the League of Nations, which may have helped to prevent World War II. I'm really super excited to dive into this week's episode because it allows us the flexibility to weave through the various people and various time periods throughout history. And also just kind of as like a side note, presidential history was kind of one of my my main introductions to really being fascinated by history when I was in high school. So I'm so excited about it. We today are going to be spanning the whole length of American presidents from 1789 to today. Woo! But first, a cocktail. A cocktail. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. First and foremost, we must give a huge thank you to Vanessa and Laura from a tap on the wrist podcast. 
These gals bought us a total of three cocktails this season, and we cannot thank them enough. That is so sweet. And we were on one of their episodes. It feels like a million years ago. What was the topic we did with them? We talked about an amazing woman that owned a bar uh, and fought for women's rights. That's right. It was was like women in... like bartending women yeah. or cocktail women or something uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. That I, was cool. It was so much fun. That was one of my favorite episodes that I've ever researched. Yeah. Uh, they're amazing. If you haven't listened to them yet, their podcast is a tap on the wrist. And they they cover so much, like history and true crime and women's history. They're amazing. Yeah. So definitely check them out. Yeah. So because this week we are digging into presidential illnesses, I thought, what's a cocktail I could do that has something to do with being sick, right? <laughs> Yeah. Or ill. Uh-huh. Um, and the only one I could really think of was a hot toddy. I think that's perfect. Have you ever had a hot toddy? I feel like I have had one before, but it didn't stand out in my memory. Yeah. So I think I've had one hot toddy in my life, and I actually think you were there for it. Oh. I feel like it was did, that time we went to Tahoe, and I feel like we went out to eat, and I might have gotten a hot toddy. I don't remember this at all. Or maybe you got a hot toddy? Somebody got a hot toddy. Maybe that's when I had my hot toddy. And I tried it, and I was like, meh. <laughs> so I just I personally feel like hot toddies are just a little bland lacking in flavor yeah because okay so a hot toddy contains hot water or tea very often chamomile which mm-hmm. is the case for us so hopefully we don't get a sleepy <laughs> a shot of liquor uh whiskey in our case of course yeah uh honey lemon juice and then we also added cinnamon sticks but I've seen so many different you know variations on uh-huh because you can do any liquor you can really do any liquor okay. that pairs well with whatever the other ingredients Got are. It. So we, again, we did chamomile, we did uh, like a bourbon whiskey, we mm-hmm. did honey, lemon, and then we did put two cinnamon sticks in each of our drinks. Love it. So I did want to give a little background on this before we sip and rate. According to vinepair.com, the toddy as we know today started in British-controlled India in Mm. the 1610s. The name derives from a Hindi word, taddy, meaning beverage made from fermented palm sap. Oh. Yeah. So by 1786, taddy was officially written down and defined as beverage made of alcoholic liquor with hot water, sugar, and spices. Oh my God, I love this history. Yeah. So the British, with their uh, persistent habit of appropriating from conquered cultures. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> took that beverage and they really claimed it as their own mm. in the cold winters and everyday dampness of northern England and Scotland. Pubs would pour hot water into scotch whiskey. The United Kingdom trade routes with India made exotic spices routine and pubs started throwing more than hot water and whiskey into their drinks like spices or teas and stuff. And that is how the hot toddy came to be. I love learning the history. Yeah. All right. Here's to hopefully and enjoying it. I hope we do. Cheersies. Cheers. It's nice that it's warm. It's That's what of, I was just going to say. Well, it's been chilly here. In mm-hmm. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's really good. I love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Like, we've been sitting here for a long time because it's it was boiling hot and now <laughs> it's just like warm. We, we talked a lot <laughs> before the episode started after we made the drink. I think I love it too. I think I love it. How much do you love it? Mine's like an eight. Eight or nine. Wow. I can definitely see the appeal of this like when you're not feeling great, when your like throat's kind of sore. Oh, for sure. Oh my God. I almost wish I had a sore throat right now. Warms the soul. <laughs> Have I ever wished to have a sore throat? No. no. But now would but be today, one of those times. <laughs> today's the day. I don't know if 
anyone, any of our listeners, or Leah, if you're familiar with um, the medicine ball at Starbucks. So if you go to Starbucks, think of this. Okay, let's let's go pre-COVID, though. Think okay. of in 2019, you went to work because that's what you did even when you were sick. What? Um, and your throat just felt a little funky. Yeah, so you not go, just your throat. You also were a little foggy. Your nose was dripping. But had you, a had to, you had to go to work. But you were still putting in your eight-hour shift. Yeah, because um, that was what was expected of you. Yep, and at like 9 a.m. when all your coworkers are like, hey, want to do a Starbucks run? You're like, but of course... And you would ask for a medicine ball at Starbucks. Anyway, it just it makes me kind of laugh now just how the world has changed because I totally have gotten like medicine ball drinks from Starbucks before. And now it's like uh, within the last couple months, my husband and I were at Starbucks just like hanging out reading a book. And I heard someone ask for a medicine ball at the Starbucks counter. And I was like, <gasps> they have COVID. They have COVID. <laughs> no, doubt. Like, no doubt. What are, what are you doing out in public? Yep. <laughs> Whereas like things are just they're so different now. Anyway, what exactly, we just looked it up, what exactly is a medicine ball? It's fairly straightforward. It contains hot water, steamed lemonade, a combo of tea, Ivana's, jade, citrus, mint, green tea, and peach, tranquility, herbal tea. Okay. And honey. The article that she's reading this from says that the medicine ball is bogus, but I will just speak from personal experience. Does it taste good? It tasted good. Does it make you feel better? And it made my throat feel nice. (laughs) So So, it works. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, who, who are they? Yeah. Anyway, this kind of reminds me of a medicine ball um, from Starbucks. I'm really liking it. I, think- I like this so much more than the one that I have had before in my life, which I'm pretty sure was with you in Lake Tahoe. I don't remember that, but sure. South Lake Tahoe. <laughs> sure. I love this. Like you were kind of saying before we started, we're California girls. We're Sacramento girls. And we were having fake spring like a week or two ago where... Yeah, when you were you were gone, you were on in the East Coast when it was frigid, snowing. Yeah, frigid weather. <laughs> Here it was lovely. It was like 75 degrees for a couple of days, and now we're back down into the 50s. And 50s are very, very cold for us California girls. So yeah. um, this is perfect. It is nice. I love it. Yeah. Cool. cool. Okay, so where I want to start with this episode is to reflect on how hiding illnesses as a president is not a new concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will recall, there was a pretty major story in late 2020 when then President Donald J. Trump tested positive for coronavirus. Now, I feel like we could go on a long tangent of all the thoughts and feelings surrounding this moment in history, but I bring it up for this reason. A lot of people were bothered by the lack of transparency regarding the reality of the president's condition. Yeah. The general public was told, for the most part, that Trump had only mild symptoms and was, quote, fatigued but in good spirits unquote Mm -hmm. but we would later learn that while at walter reed national military medical center he had received remdesivir therapy and supplemental oxygen again we could spend a very long time on this topic alone but the reason i bring it up is to share that a lack of transparency in regard to the president's health is not new in fact the reality of a president's health has been largely concealed going back more than 200 years I'm I'm glad that we are getting to a place where people who are differently abled and uh-huh. um, have illnesses and stuff are able to just be complain about it. But it's still like it's totally still looked upon as a weakness. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you bring that up because I think in particular in a position such as president of the United States, having any form of uh, being differently abled or having an illness or whatever also reflects on your ability to operate a country yeah and so there's obvious motivations for why these Mm -hmm. sorts of things would be concealed totally 
In an article I read by Robin Wright for The New Yorker, she stated that it is estimated that, quote, as many as half of American presidents have suffered illnesses, physical or mental, in office, unquote. Wright cites a medical review which states that, quote, the health of U.S. presidents has varied dramatically since George Washington first took the oath of office in 1789 while sterile, half deaf, and with only a single tooth, (laughs) unquote. (laughs) Gotta laugh. And that's a perfect segue because I want to acknowledge up top that we could quite literally go through every single president and discuss their health. Yeah. Who hasn't been sick? Exactly. Every single president has had some bout with illness anywhere from poison ivy to lead poisoning. We're looking at you, Andrew Jackson, and (laughs) that bullet that you had in your body for 20 plus years. What? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure between the two of us, you and me, if someone were to run a historical health screening, they would discover that we too have had our own health issues from time to time. I repeat, who hasn't? Who has not? Right. It's, It's ridiculous to assume that people in power are immune. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, so I I wanted to acknowledge that I will not be addressing every single president's health history, although if interested, Ranker.com did exactly that, so you can go check them out. Nice. Um, What I will be doing in this episode is focusing specifically on only a handful of presidents whose health was of concern while they were in the office, but were really really good at hiding it and also had potential to compromise or even drastically change the course of history had things gone otherwise. Yeah. So the first instance of a president's health being concealed from the general public comes from 1813. James Madison, who became the fourth president of the United States in 1809, is considered to be the father of the Constitution for his contributions to getting it ratified between, you know, the Federalist Papers and his drafting of the Bill of Rights. This father of the Constitution, however, was very, very sick. (laughs) In fact, I have a picture to show you really quickly. Um, We're both huge, huge fans of Hamilton the musical. Yes. Let's check out a picture of James Madison from the Hamilton musical and tell me what you see. Okay. (laughs) He's coughing. Yeah. I think most people who listen to us regularly know I'm, other than Hamilton, not really the hugest fan of American history. Mm. Like, especially like colonial founding fathers i find yeah. a little warm which is so offensive <laughs> i know i know i know it hurts literally so offensive it hurts <laughs> but I, that was something i noticed during hamilton and i looked up mm-hmm. afterwards so i'm i'm very happy that you included him yeah so we're going to show that on our instagram be sure you're following us there to see that picture mm-hmm. um lin-manuel miranda the creator of hamilton the musical in all of his genius he threw in several subtle hints throughout the musical one of which is that James Madison, the, the person that's playing him, is always seen with a handkerchief mm-hmm. and is oftentimes seen coughing into it throughout the musical. So why is that? Prior to the 1813 illness that we'll be discussing today, Madison had a long history of illness. In the early 1770s, when Madison was in his young 20s, he actually collapsed from a seizure. Mm-hmm. He would continue to have seizures over the course of his life, and historians continue to debate whether this was the result of epilepsy or perhaps they were panic attacks or hysteria. He would also suffer bouts of malaria, tuberculosis, smallpox, and yellow fever, which is all pretty remarkable that he survived given the time period. Totally. Not like not only the time period that we're talking about, but also the fact that Madison never weighed more than a hundred pounds. I did not know that. He was, I believe, about five foot four inches, if I remember correctly. Um, so he was just generally like a smaller statured gentleman. 
1813, while Madison was president and while the country was in the midst of the War of 1812, he came down with bilious fever that was so intense and caused him so much fatigue that he was physically incapable of reading and examining documents that have been brought to him. Which, like, when you're sick, I mean, other than watching TV, what, what do you do? You read. Yet you read, you stare at your phone. I mean, even if you're you're watching the TV or you're staring at your phone, you're still able to read yeah. <laughs> what's going on. Yeah. Pretty alarming. Yeah. So let's back it up to when this all began. On June 14th, 1813, Madison was set to meet with members of Congress, but his wife, Dolly, ended up speaking for him, saying that, quote, the president was sick in his chamber and could not meet with his friends that day, unquote. This is the first indication that Madison was under the weather. It didn't seem like things were too bad, though, because the following day, June 15th, Madison wrote to the Senate committee and said he would be well enough to meet the next day. However, on June 16th, the president didn't show up. He blamed it on his watch. <laughs> yeah, okay, Madison. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and he rescheduled their meeting for the next day. That's like when you call in sick one day and then the next day is your vacation. It's like, really? <laughs> you just took two days of vacation. Or the other way around. You took a vacation and the next day you called yeah, in sick. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so are you hungover? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, just take two days of vacation. Just do it. We're all expecting it. Come We're not on. expecting you to come back in on a Friday when you've been out the entire week. Yeah. Just take the extra just, day. Just do it. <laughs> come June 17th, Madison sent along a message that he would yet again need to reschedule the meeting to the following day. So in case you're keeping count out there, this is now the third time that this meeting has been rescheduled. And of course, that next day, June 18th, the president didn't show up again. He sent along a message saying that he was sorry that he could not meet with the Senate committee and that he could no longer even attempt to give them a potential rescheduled date. Yikes. Those close to Madison knew how grave this situation was. After visiting the president, James Monroe said that Madison's illness, quote, has perhaps never left him, even for an hour, and occasionally the symptoms have been unfavorable. This is, I think, the 15th day. Could you imagine unquote. being not sick for 15 days? No, I absolutely can't. I would say, like, the worst sicknesses I've had, I was going to say, like, three days. Yeah, like, I mean, like, where the worst miserable. Of it, yeah. yeah, the worst of it was, like, three days, and then you still feel kind of groggy for the next week. Yeah. 15 days. Of him not being able to read. Yes. For the general public, the majority were unaware that their president was sick in bed for three straight weeks. So sick in bed that, like you just said, he couldn't even read the documents that were being brought to him. So sick that those closest to him were preparing for secession following his, what they believed, inevitable death. Madison would have a fever for three straight weeks. A fever that was oftentimes accompanied by vomiting and diarrhea before he finally started to feel better. How a human being makes it through that is crazy. Yes. At, the, at that time. Uh, at that time. I would say even now, it, absolutely at that time. But like even now, just diarrhea and vomiting. Like how are you retaining any uh, hydration whatsoever? Yeah. His wife, so exhausted from having cared for him day and night, actually wrote that, quote, now that I see he will get well, I feel as if I should die myself with fatigue, unquote. I feel that, girl. I've been there. No, I mean, not. Not <laughs> not to that extent, not, but of course, like when you're caring for another, like it exhausts you too. Yeah. By early July of 1813, Madison had begun working again, but still while laying in bed. 
In fact, I have a letter here from Madison that it's going to be really difficult to read the writing, um, but see if you can read what it says along the top of the letter, that very small print right at the top. It says, written down by something Jackson and dictated by something 1813. That was actually pretty good. Yeah, so it's it's very difficult to read. Again, we'll post this to our Instagram so you can check it out. Um, But this is a letter that across the top of it, it says it was written down by someone else, um, a gentleman named uh, on this letter. It's J.G. Jackson. Exactly. J.G. Jackson as dictated by J.M. James Madison while sick in bed in 1813. It literally says that. While in bed, yeah. Sick in bed. Oh, sick in bed. Yeah. Crazy, right? He was having his letters dictated because he was so unwell he couldn't even respond to correspondence. Yeah. This letter dated July 6th was dictated from bed while he was still sick. He was still conducting presidential duties from his sick bed weeks after first contracting the illness. Mm -hmm. It would be a few more weeks before Madison started feeling mostly back to normal, although even still toward the end of August, Madison wrote, quote, I am reminded, however, by occasional touches of fever produced, I believe, in the dregs of influenza, that some precautionary attention continue to be proper, unquote. It's pretty wild to think of having a fever, an actual fever, for three weeks. I mean, if I have a fever for more than a day, like, I'm checking myself into urgent care. Totally. James Madison may have been the first president to hide a severe illness, he certainly would not be the last. Yeah. The next president I'd like to talk about is Abraham Lincoln. And I argue for this one because although his mental illness was not necessarily hidden from those who personally knew him, I do believe it was hidden well enough from the general public that even now, more than 150 years since his presidency, I don't think many people actually know about the true, deep, chronic depression that Abraham Lincoln suffered. For the majority of his life. If honestly, if I didn't know you, <laughs> I probably wouldn't know about it. Well, then actually, that's great perspective because I was going to ask you, like, did you know that Lincoln I, was chronically depressed? I don't know any of the details. I have heard it probably from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think most people don't know. And so that's why uh, I wanted to mention this one again. Those that knew him personally knew about it. But like when you're studying history, that's not something we don't talk about mental illness now as much as maybe we should. Certainly not 150 years ago. No. So like I mentioned, for those that knew Lincoln, his depression was well known. In fact, his law partner, William Herndon, even said of Lincoln, quote, his melancholy dripped from him as he walked, unquote. Lincoln spoke of suicide on a number of occasions and went through many bouts of depression that caused him to not be able to physically function. Like even, I just went to like multiple exhibits in Philadelphia and and DC where I saw things about Lincoln and there was no mention. And I mean like yeah, it's weird that they don't talk about this is a huge part of his life if he's unable to fucking walk like it, and it was like there there was a period of his life between um I mean this is getting into the really nitty-gritty because I I love Lincoln and I, I know. know so much about him. <laughs> so I'm going to try I'm going to try not to say all the things but But just, yeah, there's a lot in Lincoln's life. Like, he was very seriously talking about suicide and really concerning a lot of his friends. And that's something that most people don't know. No. But it was well documented at the time by those that knew him personally. (sighs) And I don't – maybe this is something we can discuss at the end of the episode once we've gone through everything. Mm -hmm. But I just think – I personally think it's so important to see the human side of people. Yep. And 
I personally would appreciate knowing if someone's struggling with something and still successful and still able to do things. I think that's so impressive and important for people that are struggling themselves. I I completely agree. That's something that we've talked about even with like podcasting before. I find so much encouragement when I see like huge podcast networks say the same things that we do. That like it got deleted. Exactly. Our episode got deleted. Our mic wasn't working that day. I'm like, oh my God, I feel honestly so much encouragement that people that are at such higher levels with so many more resources than we do go through the same things we do and that's just like a minor uh example mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not referring to like mental health or physical health yeah um, but it is encouraging exactly what you said to hear when people that were successful and did accomplish such amazing great things did so he- through struggle yeah it's not it wasn't easy yes and they still could do it yes and that means you can Lincoln was very familiar with loss. Lincoln himself was only nine years old when he lost his mom. He would later lose his first love when she was only 22, and he would lose one of his sons when that son was only four years old. The same year that Lincoln's four-year-old son would die, his son Willie would be born. Not that you should pick and choose favorite kids, but Lincoln definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> Willie was by far Lincoln's favorite kid. And and I think some of that favoritism might have been a result of the tragic loss of his other son so close in time to when Willie was born. Mm-hmm. That made it all the more devastating when in 1862, when Lincoln was in office as the 16th president and the country was in the midst of the Civil War, Willie got sick with what we think was typhoid fever and would die at only 11 years old. Yeah. It is reported that Lincoln's depression following this dramatic loss caused him to quite literally stop running the country for a handful of days. Can you blame him? Of course not. He stopped attending meetings and he locked himself in a room of the White House all by himself and just wept for days. This is like for us to expect that a human being would ever like just be able to continue to run a country when they're child died is weird it is weird you're absolutely right but the fact that we're talking about this now like can you believe he stopped running the country for a few days because his child passed away yeah like from a tragic only a couple days is when he only locked himself in his room for a couple days and not for two years (laughs) yeah yeah just try looking at it from a slightly more empathetic perspective yes The following year, Lincoln would contract a nearly deadly bout of smallpox. This again prohibited him from carrying out his typical presidential duties as it limited the number of people that he could meet with. His valet, a black man, contracted smallpox at the same time as Lincoln and would actually very sadly pass away from the illness. In more recent years, many historians have looked back at Lincoln's health and believe he actually had Marfan syndrome, which is a genetic disorder that would explain why Lincoln was so tall, his eyes were so sunken in, his cheeks were so protruding. At a minimum, though, we do know for a fact that he suffered from chronic depression and that this depression was reflected in the way he operated the White House and the Civil War, despite the fact that it was largely hidden from the public, continuing to this day. This episode was brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider in spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. They have titles ranging from news, self-development, business, fiction, and more. Not only do they have audiobooks, but they also have podcasts, wellness guidance programs, and more. The best thing about Audible is that you can download titles to listen to offline, anytime, anywhere, across all devices without losing your spot. 
and Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. Maybe pick one of my most recent favorites titled The Betrayal of Anne Frank, a cold case investigation written by Rosemary Sullivan. If you would like to try out a free 30-day trial, you can do that right now using our link at www.audibletrial.com slash hashtag history. That's www.audibletrial.com slash hashtag history. I think we all know that Abraham Lincoln was the first U.S. president to be assassinated. Tragically, less than 20 years later, another U.S. president would be assassinated. This president, however, did not die immediately after being shot. In fact, this president, James Garfield, would die two months later due to complications with sepsis. But for those two months, he would continue to, quote unquote, run the White House while his deteriorating health was, for the most part, you guessed it, concealed from the public. <laughs> Crazy. What? <laughs> You're shocked, I can tell. <laughs> The assassination of James Garfield is on my long list of future topics, so we won't dive into it too deeply here. But on July 2nd, 1881, when Garfield arrived at the Baltimore and Potomac train station, a man named Charles Coteau, who had been stalking Garfield for weeks, shot him twice. It's always interesting to think of like stalking happening in 1881. Because it was. I mean, <laughs> like the early days, like he didn't have any like secret service yeah. or, or any bodyguards. In fact, Lincoln, it was kind of like a revolutionary thing that for a period of time he had bodyguards. And that was only because half the country violently yeah. hated him. Yeah. The first bullet, it grazed Garfield's arm, but the second lodged itself into his lower back. The bullet managed to miss all of the major arteries and vital organs. And it's generally believed that Garfield would have survived this injury. But let's think back to the time period. I was here. just going to say, if it had been 2000 and whatever. Totally. <laughs> Sanitation and sterilization were not then what they are today. Instead, as doctors tended to Garfield, they were shoving their typhoid Mary fingers into his wound. <laughs> their, their peach pie ice cream fingers. <laughs> had they just like licked their fingers after like a steak dinner? And yeah. Touched some, some public transportation yeah. poles. Yeah. Some trams. Took the tram to wherever this happened. Exactly. They were at a train station. Yeah. Uh, and they were shoving those fingers into his wound mm. in an attempt to locate the bullet. Mm -hmm. It's understood that Garfield eventually died as as a result of an infection and the overall lack of sanitation by his medical professionals. Yeah. Now, obviously the world knew about Garfield being shot. It's not as though this was concealed. No. <laughs> uh, and it should also be noted that American newspapers did regularly report on Garfield's ever-evolving medical condition, and Garfield himself was fairly forthcoming about how he was doing. In contrast, the American public was not told the full extent of his condition, I spoke with our friend Mike from the Necronomapod podcast because they did an amazing episode about James Garfield's assassination that I highly recommend yeah, that you check out. To it. Uh, he, and he shared with me that he found in his research that Garfield's lead physician, a man named Dr. Willard Bliss, doctor was his first name, not just his title. No. Like, have, his, like birth? That is his birth first name. So he was meant to do this. Imagine if he went on to become... A legal secretary. Oh my or god! Or like a <laughs> an event planner, and your or name an is Doctor. Planner. I mean, your parents have a right to be disappointed in you, then. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's like self fulfilling prophecy, except like 
you put must a fulfill too it. Much pressure. But you must fulfill it because honestly, then you're disappointing yourself. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Pretty wild, right? Why? Um, anyway, this doctor named Doctor, he very much misled the press in regard to the seriousness of Garfield's condition. As a result, the American public was unaware that for the two months that Garfield was essentially on his deathbed, losing nearly 100 pounds in only 80 days, basically nothing was happening in the executive office of the White House. When Garfield did pass away, the presidency was assumed by his vice president, Chester Arthur. And we've got a back-to-back story here because while Arthur was serving as president, he learned that he had a fatal kidney illness. Oh, no. (sighs) He knew that he was dying throughout his entire presidency, though he only told a few of his closest people. No one in the public knew about this illness. In fact, we didn't know. History didn't know about his illness until the 1970s. Which is crazy. That's crazy. Arthur was so adamant about his health remaining a secret that when he died from the disease less than two years after serving as president, he ordered for his sons to supervise the burning of the majority of his personal records. I First of all, I can't imagine caring that much about what people think of me after I'm dead. I don't know. I'm on the fence about that. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. I have to think on that one. I could understand why someone would be. I just personally am like, I'm dead. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to justify do, do the, the way people I feel. around me who I lived with care and love me. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah, no, I need admiration from everybody. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Forever and For ever all amen. time. <laughs> I need everyone to love me, even those that have never met me. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I could relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, my anxiety relates to that. Yeah. The next president's illness was so secret that it involved a giant cover-up. Oh, no. This president had an undercover operation conducted on a private yacht to have the surgical removal of a cancerous tumor hidden from the public. I'm just like, of all places, why a yacht? It's got to be choppy waters, man. Yeah. I mean, I'll kind of explain why, but that I'm going to explain, but it doesn't make it make more sense. Okay. Okay. In 1893, not long after beginning his second term as president, Grover Cleveland noticed a bump on the roof of his mouth. Oh, no. When this bump continued to become larger, he sought medical professionals who told him that the bump was a cancerous tumor that needed to be removed right away. Yeah. Cleveland was scheduled to address Congress in August of that year. Therefore, he would need to have the tumor removed and have fully recovered from the surgery by then. Not wanting to alarm the public regarding his condition, he made the decision that this surgery would have to remain a secret. But he would have to explain away why he was going to be MIA for a handful of days. Vacation. Yeah, but even these times, like the late 1800s, it's still weird for a president to go missing for several Vacation. days. Vacation. <laughs> As president, unacceptable. Not allowed. Vacation days. <laughs> You're allowed to take some time You're allowed to take your PTO. <laughs> he did this by reaching out to a friend of his that owned a yacht and then had a public announcement made that he would be going on a four-day fishing trip on the yacht with his buddy. Mm-hmm. What the public didn't know was that this yacht had been converted into a surgical center with six surgeons on board. Mm-hmm. The surgery took place on July 1st, 1893, and took about 90 minutes in total. That's nothing for surgeries. Pretty impressive. Yeah. The tumor was found to be larger than originally anticipated, and it ended up requiring, in order to remove the tumor, no. the removal of five teeth <gasps> and part of the jawbone. The president would lose inches off of his palate which would later be filled by way of an implant (laughs) 
Fortunately for the president, his number one concern had not been touched. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture here, Leah. Don't worry, we're not looking at any tumors or anything. We're just looking at a picture of Grover Cleveland. And I'm hoping you can tell me, based on this picture, what you think his signature iconic piece was. (laughs) And number one concern. The stash. The stash. The stash looks great. Yeah, fully intact. Fully intact. It's an intense one, no? Uh, It's longer um, than I would want my significant other stash to be <laughs> yeah he cleveland feared that if his signature mustache had been compromised in the course of the surgery the public would know that he had lied about this yacht trip. let me just talk about like all of the museums we went to and stuff mm. the fucking facial hair man intense it's so intense and i'm like also you can like track where it's like oh that guy was a renegade where it's like that guy it was like some guy his name was was mutton or something yeah. and it's the mutton chops yeah. and i'm like he he started the revolution he, could you imagine <laughs> being so crazy that you were like i'm gonna grow this shit on my fucking face and i'm gonna shave it in weird ways <laughs> and being the first person, first to, do person that. to do that and then it picked up and then it picked up and same same goes for like i'm gonna be the first guy that's gonna like kind of cleanly shave my face and and kind of stylize and structure my, my facial hair in a in a more neat way yeah and then that ends up picking up too and then like you could like track it you could be like oh here's all the presidents oh mustaches are in <laughs> like they're in now and now they're out <laughs> yeah, yeah no truly totally yeah Like I said, though, lucky him, the surgeons were able to complete the surgery without touching his precious stash. And Cleveland was able to address Congress in August and generally appeared to recover rather well from the recent surgery. Okay. But the media actually wouldn't leave him alone. The media was suspicious about this four-day trip. I I understand your, like, empathetic side of, like, it's still a job. You still should have vacation days. But it's also the president. You really don't. What? president goes mia for four full days it's, yeah, it's unheard of yeah hounded by the media one of the doctors did end up spilling the beans and telling the press about this secret surgery cleveland denied the rumors and began a successful smear campaign against oh, the loose lip doctor no. cleveland this, the story of this surgery would continue to remain for the most part a secret until nearly a decade after cleveland's death when the truth was finally revealed pretty crazy right all because of the stash, but a secret surgery that was conducted during his presidency that no one knew about till long after his death. I'm sure there were more that we don't even know about. Oh, I'm confident that there are. Yeah. Confident. Mm-hmm. The next president to largely conceal his health from the public in a major way was Woodrow Wilson. Wilson became the 28th president of the United States in 1913. In 1919, during his second term, Wilson suffered a horrendous stroke. And it should be noted, and this is like truly, truly awful. This was not Wilson's first stroke. In fact, between 1896 and the incident we're talking about here in 1919, it's believed that Wilson had three strokes. On October 2nd, 1919, Wilson suffered a fourth and likely most devastating stroke. This stroke was so devastating that it left him paralyzed on his left side and made it so that he could only partially see out of his right eye. Wilson would remain in bed for weeks and would only be seen by his doctor and his wife. I would consider the realities of Wilson's condition to be one of the greatest cover-ups in presidential illness history because what many people didn't realize at the time was that Wilson's wife, Edith, was essentially running the show. Mm -hmm. In fact, she has since been described as the first female president of the United States. Even prior to Wilson's fourth stroke, Edith was privy to information primarily exclusive to the president. 
Long before his stroke, Edith was known to, at the request of her husband, sit in on political and sometimes highly classified meetings so that when the meeting was over, she could give her husband all her thoughts. Wilson gave her full access to classified documents, including his mail. She was even privy to secret wartime codes. Mm -hmm. Given this experience and exposure, she was fairly equipped to take things over when it was clear that her husband no longer could. If members of the cabinet or Congress came to meet with the president, she met with them instead. If there were important documents for the president to look over, she would look over them first. If she could not make a decision about them on her own, she would go to his room and read them to him. Although I'm sure it was suspected, no one but Edith and the president's physician knew Wilson's true condition. And the true conditions of his health were certainly concealed from the general public. In fact, it wouldn't be for a few more months in February of 1920 that news began to be reported about the stroke that the president had suffered. It's worth noting, however, that at this time in history, the 25th Amendment did not yet exist. And for those unfamiliar with the 25th Amendment, this is the amendment that provides clarification regarding the vice president becoming president should it be determined that the current president is unable or unfit to perform their presidential duties. This amendment would not be passed until 1965. It's important to note that Article 2, Section 1, Clause 6 of the U.S. Constitution does have language about the vice president assuming presidential duties if the current president determines that they themselves is unable or, you know, is dead. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know, however, it's pretty ambiguous and doesn't really clarify if the vice president officially becomes president in this case or simply just takes on the powers and duties of the presidency. The 25th Amendment was passed in 1965 to resolve that ambiguity and also makes it so that it's not just just the president themselves who decides if he or she is unfit or unable to perform presidential duties, but makes it so that the vice president and the majority of the Congress or other acting body can instead make this determination. Yeah, so I feel like that's the turning point where like presidential illnesses, obviously, they're still hush hush, they're Mm -hmm. kept under wraps. They're not widely disseminated. Yeah. But I feel like the 1965, like, 25th amendment is kind of the turning point in which it's like i don't know it's like it puts it on paper where i totally agree you have to report that at least to your colleagues yeah because i would say even now like perhaps we don't know every single thing about joe biden's health right but uh when he recently had a colonoscopy performed he did assert the 25th amendment and make kamala harris our current vice president he did essentially give her the powers and the duties of the presidency for a short was, period of time yeah. while he was in surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're totally correct that it does provide for more transparency by way of the 25th Amendment. Yeah. By the end of Wilson's presidency, Edith had essentially been running the ship for 17 months. Although she continued to deny that. In fact, here's a quote from her. She said, quote, I myself never made a single decision regarding the disposition of public affairs. The only decision that was mine was what was important and what was not and the very important decision of when to present matters to my husband, unquote. I don't like that you're Her. diminishing the role that you played and your badass contribution. I agree with you, and I disagree in that I totally agree that, like, well, she's negating, like, all the stuff that she did, but also it's illegal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it it would have yeah, been, oh, like, yeah, literally yeah. illegal totally. to be, like, I'm... I I did everything, all the powers and duties of the presidency without actually being the president. Totally. She can't really admit how much she probably did. Yeah. No, because that's true. We elected a certain person. And if their spouse or, you know, loved one is Mm -hmm. running the country, that's... That's not what we voted for. That's not what we voted for. Yeah. Totally. So I think that that's why she said what she said. Okay. 
Wilson had intended to run for a third term. Remember, this was before the 27th Amendment, which limited the number of terms the president could serve to two. Uh, But the 1919 stroke made that impossible. In fact, just three years after completing his second term, Wilson would pass away. Wilson's health condition did have a direct consequence and effect on his presidency. He was a huge supporter of the United States becoming a part of the League of Nations, but was unable to continue to fight for this due to his health. The League of Nations would end up dissolving in 1946, largely considered unsuccessful in that it was incapable of preventing World War II. But many argue that if the United States had been involved in the League, it would have made a difference. We will never know. I believe most people nowadays know that Franklin D. Roosevelt, or FDR, contracted polio when he was 39 years old, which eventually caused him to be paralyzed from the waist down. So scary. So scary at that age, too. Um, And I guess I didn't actually put this in my my notes here, but it has more recently been thought maybe he actually ended up contracting Guillain-Barre instead of... uh, Oh, I didn't know that. Instead of polio. Yeah, some, some more recent historians believe that, so... Yeah, because it, it's it's interesting to get polio so late in life. Yeah. Like, typically it was something that hit people in this time period in their childhood. So that's why more recent historians think maybe it was Guillain-Barre instead. Okay. He worked hard to conceal his paralysis, eventually working up the strength to walk short distances when wearing leg braces and when he had people on either side of him for support. Roosevelt would employ a series of tricks to give the impression that he could walk on his own, but he was always aided by braces and or a cane and or the physical support of another body. This this is the one where I'm like, it didn't affect his his mind, right? His, his mental abil- capacity. His mental capacity, his ability to run the country. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that we have moved to a point where something like this would be accepted. I think we have because I have seen recent, uh, like a recent statue made of him that they, uh, it's a statue of him sitting in his wheelchair Mm -hmm. and it's considered to be like a great representation of someone that's differently abled, Mm -hmm. but so capable and so successful. In fact, a lot of people would consider him to be one of our greatest presidents. Mm -hmm. He, He was elected for four terms. Yeah. It's a great representation and a great advocate even for differently abled people. But I think, you know, this time period is just so weird and so interesting, yeah. right? Because I have a picture here of Roosevelt and his wife, Eleanor. They're standing on a train and waving to the public. And I feel like if you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't spot any signs of his disability. But because we are looking for it, what are the things that you notice here? Well, he's clearly leaning on her for support. She's mm-hmm. holding his arm in a way that's clearly supportive mm-hmm. uh, he's also it looks like leaning on the rail there exactly. um there's a rail kind of blocking the view of his body a little yeah. bit more I, I knowing what we know now but if you didn't know that if you were just looking at this picture oh it just looks like a dude standing yeah i wouldn't think anything of it's that it's pretty fascinating yeah the great majority of people had no idea that roosevelt relied on a wheelchair to get around mm-hmm. in a move that sounds unheard of in today's day and age with paparazzi and whatnot fdr had an agreement with the media that they would not take photographs and videos of him while he was walking nor while getting in and out of vehicles and that pictures would all be shot from the waist up what the hell did he like he must have been so respected and i well also (laughs) for any press (laughs) i would say for any press that did not abide by this agreement uh they would be hunted down by the secret service and the evidence would be destroyed (laughs) but i think it's just different like in today's day and age you know we're going to talk about jfk shortly and all the affairs that we know jfk had like there was an agreement with the media that he wouldn't be 
they wouldn't be taking pictures of these women coming in and out of the White House. So weird. It's weird in today's... It's in today's, yeah. Like, where everybody has a camera, anyone can photograph you, and you paid, get paid a lot of money for it. Yes. It's pretty crazy. It, it's hard to even imagine yeah. this time period. Yeah. If you do, right now, just like a quick Google search for Franklin D. Roosevelt, you will find that most pictures are indeed taken from the waist up, and those that do show Roosevelt's full body were taken while he was sitting in a chair and do not indicate in any way that his legs were not functioning. It's pretty amazing, and like I already said, honestly just hard to imagine in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. Roosevelt had a number of other health issues throughout his long presidency, including high blood pressure, poor circulation, difficulty breathing, skin cancer, and more. We know that only in a few months into his fourth term, yes, again, Roosevelt, he was elected to four presidential terms. Again, this was before the ratification of the 27th Amendment, uh, that FDR, he did suffer a massive stroke and he died on April 12th, 1945. And I do believe that he is the only one that served more than two, right? Yes. Yeah, because there uh -huh. was one that served one and then another one later. Uh, Grover Cleveland, Grover who Cleveland. had the tumor and had it removed on the yacht. He was our 22nd and our 24th but president. But Roosevelt was the only one that served more than that. More than two consecutive terms. More than two consecutive, yep. Again, it's just amazing to me that Roosevelt was able to conceal that he was differently abled on such a large scale and that the general public did not know about it for a long time. Gregory Gallagher, the author of a book titled FDR's Splendid Deception, wrote, quote, Many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people saw him at fairly close range over the White House years, and most did not notice that he was physically handicapped, unquote. That's amazing! Yeah, he's like the most, like, <laughs> gaslighty kind of, <laughs> you know, in this context. It's crazy. Just like, what? Me? No, I'm not. I'm not I can't. What? I'm not in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> there actually in more recent years there's a picture of him in his wheelchair kind of being wheeled around the white house yeah. and that was for a very long time a very hidden yeah artifact i mean really if you were just to google him right now you won't really find pictures of him yeah i do find it like interesting that. that a lot of more recent movies and stuff do very much do depict him in his wheelchair like I, i'm thinking of pearl harbor yep. and i'm thinking of like annie one of the annie movies oh yeah They're, they show him in his wheelchair Forgot about that yes i think no they do yeah totally and so uh, yeah that's just interesting that shows that it's a little more accepted nowadays. Yeah. Well, not only accepted, but it's important. You know, it goes back to what we said early on in the episode that to learn that people are maybe struggling physically or, or mentally or just have these uh, hurdles mm -hmm. physically and mentally, uh, but are still able to accomplish such amazing things. Yeah. It's important yeah. To, to be transparent about those types of things. Totally. Speaking of presidents that very much kept their health conditions under wraps, Let's talk about John F. Kennedy. JFK. Amazingly, for a man that was as physically sick as Kennedy was, when we think back on him, I think most of us think of his youth and vitality. For sure. We think of that Camelot depiction of him and Jackie and their young, beautiful family. Kennedy was the youngest person elected to the presidency at 43 years old. I should mention that Theodore Roosevelt was 42 when he became president, but that was not by election. He succeeded the presidency when William McKinley was assassinated. Mm -hmm. What most people did not know was how riddled Kennedy was with illnesses. In fact, Kennedy lived his life in almost constant pain. Mm -hmm. As a kid, he was sick a lot between measles, scarlet fever, chickenpox, bronchitis, whooping cough, jaundice. He had it 
all. (laughs) He also suffered with gastrointestinal issues, allergies, and chronic back pain that forced him to wear a back brace and for which he would have a number of surgeries. Perhaps the greatest of Kennedy's health concerns was when, in 1947, at the age of 30, Kennedy was diagnosed with Addison's disease. Addison's is a rare disease in which your adrenal glands don't produce enough cortisol, which can result in severe fatigue, muscle and joint pains, weight loss, and more. In fact, one of the common symptoms of Addison's is darkening or bronzing of the skin, which, ironically, Kennedy's tanned skin was an image commonly associated with his youthfulness. Totally, yeah. That was something that was uh, commented on between, you know, when he was doing his televised presidential debates. People were talking about how tan he was. Uh, After seeing his Addison's diagnosis, one doctor was quoted as saying that he didn't expect Kennedy to live more than a year. Whoa. Yeah. As a result of all of these health issues, Kennedy would experience fevers, prostate issues, UTIs, although the UTIs may or may not have something to do with his many sexual escapades. <laughs> uh, one story that I've heard about Kennedy and his health issues that really put it all into perspective for me was learning that for most of his adult life, he couldn't even bend over to tie his own shoes. I knew that he suffered with a lot of stuff, but I didn't know that. It was to that extent. Yeah. To combat the chronic pain and discomfort, Kennedy was often on a cocktail of drugs, which included steroids, sleeping pills, painkillers, tranquilizers, anti-anxiety medication, and testosterone. Much like Roosevelt before him, Kennedy went to great lengths to conceal his health conditions and heavy drug use while he was serving as the 35th president. In fact, one time when Point Blank asked by a historian about rumors of him having Addison's, Kennedy responded and said, quote, No one who has the real Addison's disease should run for the presidency, but I do not have it, unquote. It wouldn't be until after his death that the general public would know of his diagnosis. His health concerns were closely guarded. Only his immediate family and friends knew uh, out of fear that he may not have been as successful in politics had the general public known. Yeah. And just because it's an interesting fact that I think fits in here perfectly, there is a bit of conspiracy theory surrounding Kennedy's back brace and his assassination. Many believe that because Kennedy was wearing a back brace at the time of his brutal assassination, he was unable to bend his back and was therefore unable to duck before he was struck by the second and fatal bullet. Okay, the final president I would like to highlight is Ronald Reagan. Uh, In our episode 38, we discussed the assassination attempt on Reagan. In addition to that, Reagan also had a number of cancer scares while he was in office. But the primary illness that was largely concealed, if you believe that it was indeed occurring while he was in office, was Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. Reagan would not be diagnosed with the disease until five years after he had completed his second presidential term. But his own son, Ron Reagan, would reveal that he actually spotted signs of the disease while his dad was in the White House. Uh, Most people don't want to hear that. Right. Additionally, some researchers have noted variations in Reagan's speech and language over the course of his presidency, which could point to signs of dementia. But of course, this information was concealed at the time from the general public. Oh my God. I know. It makes you feel uncomfy. <laughs> there's like there's like certain things where I'm like, okay, if it's like a physical thing, but you're still mentally there. But like Alzheimer's is one where it's like, you're not mentally there. Yes. And you're running a country. And you're running the country. Yes. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) before we close out this episode i did want to take note of a few really quick honorable mentions um because their illnesses were not hidden 
because they, uh, well, died. While in office, I did not mention William Henry Harrison, Zachary Taylor, nor Warren Harding. Mm -hmm. William Howard Taft, the 27th U.S. president, was a pretty heavy guy, weighing over 300 pounds while president. His obesity led to a number of health issues, including severe sleep apnea and very high blood pressure. It was noted by one of his aides in 1911, so toward the middle of his presidential term, that Taft, quote, pants for breath at every step, unquote. Next honorable mention, uh, while playing golf in September of 1955, 34th president of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower, had a heart attack. Initially, they hid this from the public by simply stating that the president had had, quote, a digestive upset, <laughs> unquote. But his camp did eventually come forward with the truth about Eisenhower's condition and provided the public with updates on how he was doing. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to do a final honorable mention to the White House water supply. <laughs> I, I didn't know where else to fit this into the episode, but since we are discussing presidents and illnesses, I had to mention that until 1850, there was no sewage system in the White House, and the White House water supply was disgusting. Oh, I didn't know this. It's been speculated that this contaminated water may have contributed to the deaths of William Henry Harrison, James K. Polk, Zachary Taylor, and perhaps even Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. In closing out this episode, it's no surprise that presidents hide their health conditions. Yeah. As presidential historian Douglas Brinkley said, quote, presidents often tried to conceal illness for fear that it would make them seem weak and infective, unquote. Or as professor of political science, Dr. Burt Rockman said, quote, mostly presidents have hidden their ailments or minimized their seriousness so as to avoid questions about their ability to carry out their duties. Totally. However, this is a highly stressful job for those who take it conscientiously, More which I hope all of them do. Right. The quote continues to say, moreover, most are mature males, which means that they have reached the danger zone years of increased serious risk to their health. Mm -hmm. Denial of serious health issues becomes incumbent to quash doubts about presidential fitness for office. Unquote. I mean, like, just look at the most recent run for president. Everyone saying, like, Biden is the oldest president who would be elected and uh -huh. is he mentally fit to do it i i get it i also yeah. think it's important to be upfront and forthcoming yeah. about things it's a fine line because yeah. i remember feeling that way in late 2020 that historically we aren't transparent about the realities of our president's health conditions however we need to know yeah <laughs> we need to know if if like the public deserves to know if we're about to get a new president because <laughs> yeah. this one's not going to survive yeah uh, it's it's a very fine line and i don't exactly know where that line is drawn Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed on today's episode to our Instagram, and all sources used to put together the episode can be found on our website at hashtaghistory-pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use, share about us with your family and friends, and then give us a rate and review. And social media. Yes. Be sure to check us out on there. Please. We're on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. We're also on TikTok at hashtag history, all one word. And we are on Twitter at hashtag history underscore. And come join us over on Patreon where for as little as $1 a month, you can help support our books and booze supply. You also get access to some behind the scenes content, weekly hashtag hangout episodes, and automatic 15% off all merchandise. 
and we mail you cards and stickers. Rachel mails you cards and stickers. That's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Intuition challenge. (laughs) (laughs) We're so in sync. We're so in sync. It's not like we looked at each other the entire time, right? A shot. Oh, Okay, <gasps> no, we're good. It's still going. It just Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, it just wasn't over. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, we're done. Oh we're going to be done. Uh, <laughs> and that's a perfect save. Segway. That's a perfect save. Oh my God, I just did it again. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I took that chug of the Chernobyl drink at the end. <laughs> Notification oh, said someone's at the front door. No. Oh, it was you like five hours ago. <laughs> I was like, I feel like I would see. The assassination. Yep. Baltimore, and I always pronounce it incorrectly. Potomac. Potomac. I always want to say Potomac. Potomac. <laughs> no, that's what Potomac, it looks like. Yeah. Arrived at the Baltimore and... I already forgot what you just said. Potomac. Gato, who had been stalking Garfield. That is fine, though. Oh, yeah. Gato's fine. Well, but also I've studied this a lot. So okay. Gato's easy. <laughs> uh, po- po- I already forgot how to say it again. See? The O, the second O is the emphasis. Potomac. Pato- that helps me so much. The Potomac. The Potomac. Potomac. The Potomac. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Charles Gato. Gato. <laughs> Emphasis on all the toes. <laughs> so many toes. <laughs> Sit in on political and sometimes had to. Oh my god. Congratulations to say congratulations. And building equity in your home. Cool. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh in the room where that was it weird. Room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. I wanna be in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. At me, she made very intense eye contact and just went, yeah. <laughs> that was so good, right? Um,